Well, now that, uh, now that the children are out, um, every, every language has its own set of words that are off limits, words that are considered crass, um, not appropriate for dinner table conversation, offensive words. And I just want to give you fair warning. Um, we're going to be using one of those words a lot today. Not a common one, but I dare say a particularly offensive one. Perhaps uh, it, it should be bleeped out of the recording. I don't know if uh, podcasts can get an R rating, but we're, we're pushing our luck this morning. Um, I'm going to be using the S word a lot, not, not the S word that you're thinking of. Um, one much more offensive than that. Might as well just get it out there. It's the word submit. It's a hard word for us today. Uh, A word that I dare say, if we're going to make a list of the words that would offend people, um, I think that one comes up near the top. We're proud people. We are, uh, as a society, uh, as as Western culture, we're built on this idea of of personal autonomy, of, of freedom. The idea of submission, certainly the command to submit, uh, is not comfortable. And yet, here we are. Last week, we affirmed uh, three men as elders in the church. Uh, Corey Dyer, Arnold Penner, Grant Monk et al. And and I preached uh, last Sunday to them specifically. What does it mean to shepherd the flock of God? How How do you do that well? How do you lead well? This week, I want to look at it from, from the other side. What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to follow biblical, godly leadership? How do we live under biblical eldership? And, and the first answer to that question is submit. Let me show you what I'm looking at. Turn with me your Bibles to 1 Peter 5. If you don't have your Bible on you, um, go ahead and slip up your hand. One of our ushers will grab one for you. We want you to have God's Word in your hands um, that, that you might see that this is not my ideas, um, but that it's God's word. And we want to be submitting first and foremost to him and his truth. So we looked at uh, verses 1 to 4 of First Peter 5. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's Peter's word to the elders, and then he transitions. And this is where we're going to spend our time today as he addresses the rest of the church. In verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Having told the elders to lead well, he then turns to the rest of the flock and he says, Follow. Follow well. Be subject to the elders. Those are, those are tough words. That can be a very hard pill to swallow. And yet I believe if we, if we understand this passage rightly, if we trust God and His Word and we apply this appropriately, really grasp the heart of it, that obedience to this 
will prove itself to be uh, a source of great blessing and, and joy, both to our church body and, and to you personally. So come with me on this journey. I think it's okay to be skeptical. Maybe you're one of those. You, you heard that word submit and you thought, pick the wrong day to brave the icy roads. Should have stayed in bed. Don't want to hear this. Lean in with me. I'm okay if, you're, if your knee-jerk reaction is, uh, prove it. All right, that's all right. Let's start there, but lean in. Let me prove it. Let me show you what God's word says. And I pray when we're done here this morning, God will have done such a work in our hearts that, that even this offensive, offensive word to be subject might not only be tolerable to us, but sweet to us, precious to us. Um, but that, that takes a work of God in our hearts. That, that takes a miracle. Um, so let's just pause before we dive into this and go to the one who, who does miracles. Father, you know our hearts. You know our pride, our independence, our desire to go our own way. It's so deeply rooted in each of us, Father. You know how our hearts revolt against this idea of submission. Father, give us eyes to see your goodness, your grace in this. Help us to trust you in spite of our hearts. Father, help your church now to hear and believe your word. God, that we would live it out as this radical testimony to to your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Peter opens with this transition. You then who are younger. And we think, ah, sigh of relief. Not me. Not me. I'm not younger. Uh, Next verse, please. Uh, Maybe you don't, but that's how my heart works. Uh, Some of you that are older than me laugh and say, John, you're not, or you are younger. Um, I know, but that's how the heart works. There's always somebody else who's a little bit more younger. This must apply to to them and not to me. So let me just pull that rug out from underneath us. Um, He's talking to you and he's talking to me. It's a statement of contrast. On one hand, you have the elders, and on the other hand, you have those who are younger. And, and these categories are just generally true. He's not trying to be precise. He's, he's just making this contrast. The elders are generally older, although keep in mind, Timothy was younger. And I think it's also generally fair to say that it's the younger, literally, who often struggle most with submission, though, again, certainly not always. But as Peter begins to unpack this, he tips us off to what he's thinking. He says, be subject, and he immediately follows that. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. So the term younger here, I don't think leaves out any of us. The first thing Peter says to all of us is be subject to the elders. How do we do that? What does that, what does that look like? What does that mean for us? That's where the word likewise, I think, comes into play. There's a, there's a connection. There's a, an inverse relationship between how the elders are to lead and how the church is to follow. We're to submit or uh, in, in accordance with or likewise in, this, in, in proper respect to how the elders are to lead. Verse 2, the elders are to, to shepherd the flock, exercising oversight. So how do we subject ourselves accordingly to shepherding and, and overseeing. Well, 
The idea of the shepherd has, I think, two main facets as it's pointed toward the congregation. The shepherd is primarily to feed and to lead. And feeding in this metaphor refers to, to teaching. So the elders are to be faithful in, in leading and teaching. Do you follow well? Do you learn well? Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Listen as they teach the word of God to you and, and follow them, imitate them. As Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Listen to their teaching, follow their leadership. The elders are to exercise oversight. Oversight is to give direction and correction when necessary. Are you willing to be directed? Are you willing to be redirected when you've gone the wrong way? 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Paul writes, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Elders are called to admonish those that they lead when it's necessary. That's not an easy thing to do. Respect those who are over you. Be teachable, be leadable, be correctable. I think we've all known people who are the opposite of this, right? You know, if, if you try to encourage them to choose A, they will take B every single time. They want so badly to, to go their own way, to forge their own path. And, and sometimes I'm convinced, in fact, I've, I've seen it, they will choose an option. They know themselves to be the worst option just because someone else recommended they take the other way. Just to prove that they can make their own choice, I'll make the wrong choice and that'll show you. Ironically, in their striving to be self-determining, they actually end up letting their decisions be totally controlled by other people. They're proud of being hard to lead. They define themselves as those who are contrary. I'm the one who thinks differently. I'm the one who, who pushes the limit. How does your heart react when... Someone in leadership tries to teach you, to help you learn something that you didn't know, that maybe you had wrong. Do you, do you prickle? Don't, don't tell me what to think. When someone tries to, to lead you, hey, it's, it's important to make the gathering of the saints a, a priority in your life. Hey, why, do you, why don't you plug into a small group? Why don't you get involved and be growing together with the church? Do, do you receive that well? Are you easily led? Do you see the, the vision that the elders are pointing for and go, yeah, let's go there together? Here's one of the hardest ones. What about when you're corrected? Hey, you seem to be struggling persistently with this sin. Can I come alongside you? Can I help you grow through this and repent of this? Hey, that, that wasn't an appropriate way to speak to your brother. Can I, can I help you reconcile? Make this right? Sadly, much more common and much harder to hear and much harder to say is often, I, I know that you have been sinned against. I know they hurt you deeply. But you need to be obedient and forgive them. As God in Christ has forgiven you. How does your heart respond when you're corrected? Now, we're all nice Canadians, so I know how your mouth responds. 
I know that you, you'll smile and nod and say, thank you, that's great. But what happens in your heart? Do you really listen and learn? Are you, are you eager to follow? Do you receive correction? Or do you just kind of politely nod and walk away thinking, whatever, mind your own business, bug off. Proverbs is, is full of statements like these, but 12.15 is a great example. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Man, that's tough because we think we're right. Because I, I see what's going on and I'm the one who's right. And, and Solomon's saying, yeah, that's what the fool always says. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. We have this idea that the wise man knows the way, that he, he knows what to do. He doesn't need advice. Solomon says, no, it's just the opposite. The wise man is the one who says, I need help on this. I'm going to collect wisdom from others. I'm going to go to those who have gone ahead of me and, and learn from them. That's what wisdom looks like. He's not the guy that knows it all. He's the one that takes advice. Be subject to your leaders. Seek their advice. Seek their input. Be teachable. Be leadable. Be correctable. So many practical ways that this can just work out in the church. Boy, I'm, I, I want to I study more about this topic. Ask one of the elders, hey, what's a good book on this? Who should I be listening to on this? There's so many times of, of when we just need a little bit of correction. We just need pointing in the right direction. We just need spurred on in the faith. Now let's just pause and ask, Always? Like unquestionably, do we follow blindly? Is the authority of the elders absolute? Tough question. Kind of wish you hadn't asked that. The answer is, is a hesitant no. And it's hesitant because I'm immediately concerned about the heart of the person asking it. Are they really submissive or are they just pushing? Is there, a, is there an out here for me? Is there a way that I can be justified in, in going my own way? But of course, the elders' authority is not supreme. We saw at the end of verse 4 that they are under the chief shepherd. They are to be submitting to, to Jesus' ultimate authority. And elders are human. They, they make mistakes. Um, let's do a, a quick survey for the elders present. Um, if you're here as an elder today and you have ever been wrong about something, can you just put your hand up? Okay, good. We are four out of four. I was a little worried, but we <laughs> we made mistakes. We've been wrong. We've had we've had it in our heads that it must be this way, and and we've been the ones who've needed correction. So that's what we're dealing with. But let me ask you this: How many times has Scripture erred? It's a big goose egg. Zero. Zero. My my hope, my expectation, and 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 I'm confident in this, that when one of us as the elders comes to you, if we're, if we're going to be teaching you or leading you or correcting you, it'll, it'll be with Bible open, at least metaphorically, that we would lead from God's Word, that we would rest on that. That's, that's where our authority lies as elders. That's where my authority lies as a preacher. I, I have no authority to say, you must do this. My authority is to say, Look, this is what God's Word says. Let's walk in that together. And that's as far as our authority extends. 
And yet the command here is to be subject to the elders, to willingly submit to their leadership, even their imperfect leadership. We talk about this often with our kids. It's, it's easy to obey when you agree, right? That's fine. I can always submit to what I wanted to hear. And it's not even really submission at all, is it? The command to obey your parents, the command to be subject to the elders, um, it isn't there for the times when you agree with them. It isn't there for the times when that's what you were already thinking. That would be unnecessary. It assumes there's going to be times when you think they're wrong and you don't want to listen. And I don't think they, I don't think they have it all right. That's when submission means something. And that's where this second phrase comes in in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. So be subject with humility. It's humility that opens the door to being truly teachable, truly leadable and correctable. Pride starts with this assumption, I'm probably right. I probably know more. I probably don't have anything to learn from you. I, I don't think I want to go where you're going. I'll be fine on my own. But we're told to clothe ourselves with humility, cover ourselves with humility, to start with the opposite assumption of pride, assuming uh, I could probably use some help understanding Scripture, assuming I'm, I'm not the authority on truth. There's a good chance I have something wrong here. I can probably learn from the people that God has put over me to, to lead me. If the elders are leading in a certain direction, it would probably be good for me to follow. I don't think I can do this on my own. Humility is the willingness to listen, to follow, to submit from the heart. Even when you think they might be wrong. That's tough. That's hard. But I'd also point out that the idea of be subject. It's a bit of a theme through 1 Peter. Uh, he's used it twice already, and both times the people that he's commanding us to submit ourselves to are, are suspect at best. 1 Peter 2, 13-14, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Be subject to the emperor. I don't know they're Biblical history, you know what happened at year 64 when, when 1 Peter was writing this? Nero was reigning, and it was that same year. So I'm not sure exactly when 1 Peter was written, if it was just before this started or maybe shortly after, but this was when Nero started his great persecution of the Christians throughout Rome. Peter, in the middle of that, is saying, submit yourselves to the emperor for the Lord's sake. Again, down in 1 Peter 3, 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Okay, so that's nothing new. We've, we've seen that, but keep reading. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So wives are to be subject even to unbelieving husbands, even to those who are not obeying the word. 
Just as we're called to be subject to the government and the police and the authorities put over us. Now all three of these scenarios, the the government, the husbands, the, the elders, there's an implicit caveat there, right? We do not submit to them over and against God. We submit to them for the Lord's sake. And, and, and it would be self-contradictory to submit to them for the Lord's sake into sin. But so far as my conscience will allow, so far as it's within biblical obedience, I'm to submit to them in everything. And the same goes for elders, except in the case of government and the unbelieving husband, we're starting with this presumption of conflict with God's word. We know from the outset there's, there's going to be an issue. Submit yourself to the government as far as you can, and we know that's not going to go all the way. But with elders, we, we ought to be starting with the presumption of their faithfulness, their, their trust in God's Word, their obedience to Scripture. These are the men that have been pre-approved as who, whose character is godly and who walk in, in wisdom. We should start from the position not of, not of skepticism, but honor and, and respect. Just give a real practical application to this. As elders, we, we don't schedule things in church life for the purpose of wasting your time. We just don't. We're busy too. We don't want to just have things go, 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 go. Always just something to be at for the sake of being there, just to fill up the calendar. If you remember talking a couple weeks ago about purposeful disciple making as part of the culture of our church, being intentional and building up disciples, that's what we're about. We have small groups, we have men at war, we have women of excellence, even potlucks and Christmas banquets on purpose. We've planned these things for a, for a reason. And the reason is to be building disciples, to be growing the church. They matter. These are things that are good for us as believers that, that do damage to us if we're not doing these things. Part of being humble and leadable and teachable is to see those things, and instead of thinking, eh, it's fine, it's fine, I'm glad people are going and doing those things, I'm glad, I'm glad somebody's going to a prayer meeting on Wednesday, um, but, you know, it's probably not for me. I, I can get along fine without it, I, I just don't really want to go. Maybe consider the elders that God has put over me to teach me, to, to lead me, they think this is important. Otherwise, they wouldn't have planned it. They think that I need this, that this would be helpful to my my spiritual growth, my discipleship. I I should honor that. I should should prioritize that. Maybe instead of coming up with 500 excuses as to why I just can't make it again, maybe I should try saying no to some of the other things in my life so that I can say yes to what God is calling me to do through the elders of the church. When we plan these things, when we, when we nudge you and text you and call you and say, hey, why don't you come out? Hey, let's get together this week and chat. That, this is what's happening. We're trying to lead you gently, not, not domineering over you. We're not going to say, hey, you can't come to this church if you're not going to small group. That's not, that's not the way we lead. We're, we're going to be gently trying to shepherd you along. We're going to be 
involved ourselves in small groups. But that's leadership. I get it. You can't make it to everything. I'm not trying to shame. You don't want people to walk away just feeling guilty. Oh, I got to do, 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 do. No, that's not it. The question is, where's your heart at? Am I being obedient to Scripture? Am I I humble? Am I humbly subjecting myself to the the leadership of the elders? And more more than a few people have had that conversation with different elders. Boy, I I would love to to make it to this, but my my family situation, my job situation, whatever, um, I I feel guilty and conflict. Hey, that's okay. Don't feel guilty. You do what you can. But there's a heart there of, I want to be involved in that. I want to be led. And boy, that's, that's easy to, to make up for, to, to lead, to work out a solution. But is your heart submissive? Or is it fighting against being led? That's what we typically do. And, and, and God knows it. God knows our knee-jerk response to say, no, I got this. I am an an island to myself. I will be okay on my own. Stay out of my life. Don't tell me what to do. And so that's exactly why God adds this last phrase. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're commanded to be subject with humility in hope. In hope. This, this eager expectation that God's grace will come through it. That's what this really comes down to. Is do, you, do you trust God? God opposes the proud. He will fight against them. I had an older brother growing up. He was tough. He fought against me and he always won because he was just a little bit bigger than me. God is a lot bigger than you. If you're going to fight against God, you're not going to win. It's not going to end well for you. You will not come to the end of your life and say, I fought God and it went good. I won. I earned my place. No. no. One way or another, he will humble the proud in this life or in the next. It will not be good for you. It will bring nothing but pain and heartache and sorrow and ultimately hell. But he gives grace to the humble. What a glorious promise. He gives grace to the humble. Not not to those who earn it and deserve it. Not to those who do all the right things. Not to those who who pull themselves up by their bootstraps. The humble. Those who are weak. Those who, who come to him broken and needy. Ready to be led and fed and directed and corrected. He gives grace. What a great father. So that's the bottom line question. Do you trust God? Because this is God's doing. Remember back in 1 Peter 2.13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Um, Paul kind of builds that out a little bit in in Romans 13.1. He expands on that same thought. He says, every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So even the the human worldly authorities that we ought to respect for the Lord's sake are, are, are there. And we ought to respect them because God has put them there. God has allowed them their place in governing. 
How much more so the eldership of the church? Acts 20, 28, Paul is challenging the elders from Ephesus. And he says to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock listen, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You say, well, no, no, I read Acts. Paul put them in as elders. Paul did that. And that's how the Holy Spirit did it. But it was no less the work of God. Likewise, these men that have been affirmed here as elders are here because, because God has sovereignly brought this about. Do you trust God? Do you trust the Holy Spirit in leading this church? Do you believe that, that God commands this for our good? Or is your own way better? God gives grace to the humble. Here's how this plays out. My elders have encouraged me to be part of a small group. We'll just keep going with that example. I'm not sure I want to. I'm kind of, I'm kind of busy. I have a lot of things going on. That's my only free night in the week. Or, or I'm not free that night. I have to move some things. I have to rearrange my schedule. It's not convenient. And frankly, I don't really like having people involved in my life. I'm kind of a private person. I'd like to keep people a little bit on the outside. I don't like the way you do small groups. I'm not even sure the elders know what's best for me. But I know that God is good. I know that God keeps his promises. That he commands me to humbly subject myself to the elders in the church. And I know for certain that he will give grace to the humble. So I'm going to listen to the elders. It comes down to putting it on the scale. Here's all of my reasons and here's God's promise. Which one wins? Which one do I trust more? My own fears and doubts and insecurities or God's promise? Which one do I believe to be true? Confident hope in God. I am going to submit myself to the leadership of the elders, even though I'm not sure that's what I really want to do, but trusting that God gives grace to the humble. And maybe the good, the grace that comes from it is as much to be found in the humility and the submission as it is in the actual thing that was asked. I, I could absolutely foresee this conversation happening on the last day. I think this would be consistent with what we're reading here. God, the elders in my church encouraged me to go to small group, and so I went faithfully. But looking back now with, with this kind of glorified hindsight, I can see that small group was a train wreck. It was off topic all the time. They never opened God's word. Um, they, they, they were never sincere. That small group contributed absolutely nothing to my growth in, in the faith and in holiness. But I continued to go honoring the elders. And God would say, I know. But you humbly submitted to the elders that I put in place, trusting me, obeying me, and so I have blessed you here and here and here, and I will bless you for that. God gives grace to the humble. I suspect, however, a far more common conversation will be, God, I didn't see it at the time. I was a little bit blinded, and I thought it would be a waste of my time. 
But I see now how immensely beneficial that was and how you worked through the church living together and growing together and studying God's word together. And your grace flowed richly into my life through that small group. Listen to Hebrews 13, 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Don't think that does not weigh heavy on your elders. They will have to give an account before God for the way in which they lead you. But then he goes on. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What does that look like? What does it mean to, to let, this, let them do this with joy and not with groaning? Well, it's difficult. There's a lot of groaning and struggle when people are hard to lead, when they don't want to listen, when they fight against what is being taught from God's word. So don't, don't, don't make it that way for them. Be leadable, be teachable, be correctable. Help catch the, the vision that they're trying to paint and run after it with them. And, and what's the implication here? Make it easy for them to lead because that would be an advantage to you. That would be for your good. If you truly seek your own joy in this life and in the next, the way to get there is to be subject to the elders with humility and in hope that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That God's grace flows to you through humble obedience and trust in His promises. Of course, this doesn't just apply to submitting to elders. This applies to all of life. We make these decisions constantly. Do I believe that sin will offer more satisfaction or that hard obedience will be for my ultimate joy? And and which one we believe comes out in what choice we make? He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. That's what it comes down to. Do you trust Christ as the chief shepherd? First, to to have appointed faithful under-shepherds to lead here, to lead his church through them. Do you trust Christ who, who calls you to be subject to the elders in humility, promising it will be good, it will be for your blessing? We ought to be able to submit not only humbly, but eagerly, joyfully, trusting, glorifying in Christ. This is going to be the path for my good. I know that God is good to do what he promised. I can do this with joy. That's what eldership is about. That's, that's what the scripture calls us to be as a church as we, as we live this out together. Let me pray.